for the next few weeks. Joshua chapter 3 verses 1 to 4 says this. Joshua started early in the next morning. I hate that part. I don't like early in the morning, right? Come on. <laughs> That's why you're at 1030. So um, Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, carried by the Levitical priests, you are to break camp. Or shall break camp? Come on, we shall break camp, break camp and follow it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go. And I love this part. We, we talked about this last week is for you haven't traveled this way before. You haven't traveled this way before. How many of you ever feel like that right now? Beginning of 2020, you're like, man, I'm traveling someplace. I've never traveled this way before. Today, as we continue on our series, Selfies on Everest, I want to speak to you from the subject, Breaking Camp breaking camp as we look at what it takes to prepare and pursue vision in our lives and as a church. We pray with me just one more time. Jesus, speak to us right now. We need your voice, not Jason's voice. I pray that in these few moments that your word would communicate to us first and foremost, your grace, that we would experience your presence. And God, right now that with ears open and soft hearts that we'd receive from you today what it is that you want to speak to us. So we love you. Holy Spirit, do your work in us right now. We give you this space, have your way, in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, in the church shouted. Amen. Amen. Um, show of hands, this is not a trick question, all right? Show of hands, how many of you love to travel? Where are my travel people at? Like, you, got, like, you like to go? Okay, wow, 10.30, awesome, fantastic. Apparently, no one in nine like to travel. There was like four people, I kind of like to travel. Um, I love to travel. So Eric and I, we are heading out, we're so, uh, we celebrated January 1st as our anniversary, we celebrated 15 years of marriage, and we were super stoked about it, and uh, we still love each other, that's awesome, and uh, things are going well, but uh, in, at our 10-year anniversary, we, we thought to ourselves, hey, we're going to do a big trip, and, and we're going to go, like, go for some 10 years, but we had young, young kids, the church was only a couple years old, so at 10 years, we just couldn't make it happen, so this year, uh, we decided for 15 years, we're going to go big, and so we talked to her sister, and so we're doing a 15-year anniversary where we're first going to fly to Houston, and we are going to leave our kids. Just going to worship. Just going to worship right now. <laughs> and uh, we're, we trust her sister. That's why we're leaving them. Um, so, but uh, we're going to leave the kids there, and then we're going to take off to our destination. It's going to be her and I for a week with just each other, and it's going to be awesome. And we cannot wait. The countdown is on in our house. But we were having a conversation yesterday, and uh, my wife asked me this question. She says, have you started packing? I was like, no. We're like eight days out still. And here's why she asked the question, because I'm a bit of a diva. And the packing scenario in our household gets extremely difficult because Erica is pretty utilitarian when it comes to packing. Jason, on the other hand, if I can pack more shoes, I will. And I know. Now, now right now, if I were to actually take a poll, most of the guys in here know what I'm talking about right now. But uh, I, I have a tendency to overpack. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I have a tendency to try to shove everything in. We were in, uh, we had a pastor's meeting that we were part of in, in Phoenix a couple, like about a month back. And I'm like at the end of it trying to shove this heavy coat into my suitcase. And she's like, what are you doing? We're going to Phoenix. It's 70 degrees. And I was like, you never know. You never know. I want to be able to layer. And she's like, layer in Phoenix. And so I have, and I don't know how many of you are like me, I have packing issues. Anybody else have packing issues? Yeah. Thank you for admitting it because there's more of us in here. We just need to come together. But here's the problem. I love trips. 
but I hate what goes into making them happen. Right? I love camping. Where are my campers at? Like, I, I love camping. I just don't like having to do everything you have to do to camp. Right? On the front side and on the back side. Right? I want to light everything on fire after we camp every time and just buy it new. Because that's so much better. Because there's so much that goes into it. Why? Because trips are, are difficult. I love trips. But I hate what goes into making them happen. This is the reality that I've come to realize. Every great journey has some necessary requirements to make it happen. Come on, somebody. And we can't go anywhere unless we prepare. Now, I just want to engage your faith today because this, this message today is all about vision. It's all about how do, we, how do we move forward, how do we step into everything that God has for us. And, and I, want us to, I want us to focus on two spheres today, okay? I want us to process through this message today in two ways. One, me individually and as my family, like, what, like how does this apply personally? But then this other sphere that we're in, which is we as a community, as a church, okay? So I, this is going to equip us personally, but it's going to equip us as a church as well. So can we do that today? So with faith and expectancy, let's, let's filter Every thought that we walk through today with that I idea. Benjamin Franklin said it like this. By failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. Thomas Edison would say it like this. Unfortunately, there seems to be far more opportunity out there than ability. We should remember that good fortune often happens when opportunity meets preparation. Come on, somebody. Now, what does the Bible say? Because that's like Thomas Edison, Benjamin Franklin, whoopity do. What does the Bible say? Because it actually doubles down on it. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says this. Go to the ant, you slacker. <laughs> Is it going to come up here? I don't know if it's up here. Oh, you didn't see that. Oh, darn. They didn't put this one in. Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without a leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during Harvest. How long will you stay in bed, you slacker? <laughs> As it says, other translations, let's just harken back for a moment. You sluggard or sloth. Just to kick back to our series seven, if you didn't get into that. That's what we're talking about, right? And then it says this, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. See, preparation is a must if we're going to break camp and live out the vision for our lives, both personally and as a church. See, to have vision means that there are subsequent actions that must follow. We cannot climb Everest if we're unwilling to break camp. Come on, someone shout break camp. Break camp. Come on, someone shout break camp. Break and go. But the confidence and the ability to break camp and go depends on our preparation. We've got to prepare. And I think for many of us, if, if we're honest, we have a tendency to, to have ideas and drive towards things and, and belief and faith towards things, but our preparation doesn't match our faith, right? And many times, if, if you're taking notes, many times, write this down because this is important, many times our preparation doesn't equal the promise, wow. that God's got some promises over our life, but there's also preparation that comes into play. There's things that we've got to engage in and grow in and develop and, and, and do in our lives as we are going to step day by day, inch by inch, week by week. You guys understand what I'm talking about here. So we've got to look at four ways to prepare to break camp and live a life of vision. Can we do that today? Yeah. All right, lean in with me. I need your help. Come on, shot number one. Here's the first thing. First thing that we need to do is that we have to train for the task. We've got to train for the task. 
Now, after every single one of these points, you're going to hear scripture because I want us to understand these are not my opinions. This is what the Bible's talking about right here. Does that sound good? We've got to train for the task. Listen to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. It says this, don't you know that, that the runners in a stadium all race? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. All right, so I do not run. Listen to what Paul says. I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I love that. See, there are many times as I've kind of looked at things and had conversations and examined my own life personally, there's many times where I see a massive divide between our desire to step out and break camp and the preparation that is necessary to do so. Right? See, it's one thing to say that I have faith towards something. It's one thing to say that I'm believing God to do something in my life. It's one thing to say I want to break camp and step out. It's another thing to be prepared to do so. And I think this is an important thing for many of us in this room today because I, my concern is this, is that in our resolutions and in our ideas and in our hopes and in our dreams and in our faith and, and in our desires and all these different things, we'll have all of these things in front of us, but we will lack in preparation, yeah. right? We will lack in preparation. Uh, as I've been uh, reading and studying about Everest, I came across this article that talked about how to prepare to climb Everest. And as I was reading this, I was like, man, this, this stuff just like, it, it sways right and it connects so well about preparing. Listen to this expert uh, excerpt from uh, an article from Live Science said this, you need to get your body ready for the 29,035 foot climb to Ever Summit. Nope. And this is what it says, and I'm quoting, really, really ready. <laughs> Depending on your current level of fitness, think about starting a workout and hiking uh, a hike training regiment several months to three years before you depart. To build muscle and cardiovascular strength, you will need that as oxygen levels drop by nearly 70% from sea level. Run, walk, bike, swim, or hike for at least 45 minutes to an hour a day for six days a week. Carry a weighted pack to build endurance. You can start at five pounds and then build until you're able to ascend 3,500 feet carrying 65 pounds in less than three hours. That's dumb. <laughs> Even seasoned climbers, it goes on to say, should enroll in a week-long training course to learn or review skills such as using oxygen tanks, dealing with rock falls and glacier conditions, navigating in whiteouts, and just in case things get really hairy, rescue techniques. And if you go on a guided trek, recommended, you may re be required to have this course under your belt before you start. How many of you would agree with me that if you and I wanted to to get to the top of Everest together, there's some massive preparation that goes into play. What is true naturally is true spiritually. And I think we cross these things out sometimes. We, we make them, have you ever noticed that we have a tendency to take what is natural in our lives and what is spiritual in our lives and, and put them at odds with each other? And I've come to find out that actually what is true naturally many times is true spiritually as well. There's preparation that has, that, that, that has to come into our lives as we step into what God has for us. Come on, somebody, right? 
There's preparation that goes, like, I didn't just wake up one day and decide, you know, I think it'd be cool to plant a church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Let's go, right? <laughs> we didn't do that. Why? Because there was massive preparation. I, I really started thinking about uh, being here in Salt Lake City, Utah. The church launched, the well launched in 2013. The idea started rattling in my heart and preparation started in t- 2001. When I was in Bible college still. When I was training and studying and preparing and learning and reading and studying and preparing and learning and reading and studying and learning and preparing and praying and worshiping and studying and learning and reading. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's preparation. How many of you are so thankful that surgeons are reading and studying? (laughs) Like, hey. See, no one wants the surgeon that walks in and says, hey, I just decided to cut today. You have any training? Nope. Uh Uh-uh. We're going to wing it. How many of you would agree with me right now that surgeons winging it is dangerous? How many of you agree with me right now that Christians winging it is just as dangerous? But isn't that what we do sometimes? I'm just going to wing it. We make it sound so spiritual. Paul says, listen, I discipline my, my body. Right? Here's the point. Our ability to ascend to the top is dependent upon our training at the bottom. That's good. Let me say that one more time. Our ability to ascend to the top is dependent upon our training at the bottom. So what is this really about? We have to train for the task. In other words, we have to commit to personal and corporate growth. As a church, we need to grow together. We need to engage in what God wants to do in our lives as a church. But personally as well, I need to discipline myself. I need to grow. I need to move forward. Am I talking to anybody today? Here's the second thing. Come on, shout number two. Here's the second, second thing we need to do in order to prepare for the journey ahead of us is that we have to count the cost. We have to count the cost. Now, before I engage in this, I'm not just talking about finances. Just hear that, please. I think a lot of us, we just go to like the monetary side of things. No, we have to count the cost in everything. All right? Luke chapter 14, 28 through 33 says this, For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, watch this. All the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. If you've been around here long enough, we've been talking about Redemption House for two years now, right? About two years now, we've been, we've been building the resource, working through the legalities, trying to do all the things that we can do. Why? Because we don't want to be the type of church that just lays the foundation for Redemption House and then never does anything with it. We want to be the type of church that prepares and plans and builds accordingly so that when we open the doors, women's lives can be transformed and changed on a daily basis and we're not going backwards. Come on, somebody. So we have to count the cost. And at least for that project, it's expensive. It's big. There's lots of legalities to it. We're counting the cost. Right? If we want to do it well. Or what king going out to war against another king will not, will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and, and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all of his possessions cannot be my disciple. That's strong language from Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying we need to count 
cost. Many of you would agree with me in here, those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, how many of you would agree with me that there's a cost associated with it? There's a cost associated with it. Here's another excerpt from the article. Listen to this. It says, taking on Everest has cost hundreds of people their lives. Hopefully, it'll just cost you several grand. (laughs) I love that part. Airline tickets to Kathmandu, Nepal, the most common departure point for treks, can cost thousands of dollars on their own, especially during the spring climbing season. Other expenses, such as the four dollars to $10,000 for a climbing permit, are rolled into the cost of a guided trip, which can run upwards of seventy dollars to $100,000. This is all after shelling out a couple Gs for the training course, and then there's the gear. So trips, depending on cheap side, can go from really, really, really cheap, about, and this, I say cheap, $70,000 and upwards to $150,000 per person to climb Mount Everest. And in all of that, you potentially just paid $150,000 to die. <laughs> right? But hey, you're on the side of a mountain, <laughs> See, bottom line is this, if you and I were to ever climb Everest, there's a cost that will have to be counted. Come on, somebody. And as we just read, Jesus deals with this issue many times for our lives. I find it interesting that we will comment on, critique, level our opinion about another's journey when we ourselves have never actually counted the cost ourselves and stepped out to climb. Don't get quiet on me, church. I'm going to do that today as I watch the Seattle Seahawks play. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? I'll sit on the couch and I'll comment about how the coaching made the wrong play and how this happened and how this happened. But how many of you have never stepped onto an NFL field? I have never been tackled by a 380-pound linebacker. I've never had somebody coming at me with that runs a 440, right? I've never had any of that happen. So it's really easy to sit back and be like, you should have done this, pass the ball, do this, throw this, run that, make that. But I've never counted the cost. Right? Never counted the cost. We don't have the right to comment and critique if we ourselves have never counted and paid. See, many will dream about climbing Everest. Very few will count the cost and climb. I've said it about 55 times since the beginning of the series to Erica. Hey, should we like try to climb Everest? (laughs) That sounds like a good idea. She's like, babe, no, uh uh-uh. Never, right? (laughs) And then someone in the service afterwards, they're like, if I paid for us to climb, would you go? (laughs) Let's just be on the reel right now. (laughs) And I was like, "Uh, no. (laughs) Uh -uh. I've got young children. See, I talk with so many people who are in the throes of frustration, mainly because we didn't count the cost when it came to the journey in front of us. Can I challenge you this morning, church? Can I be your pastor this morning? See, we didn't count the cost of the job. We didn't count the cost of the relationship. We didn't count the cost of the education. We didn't count the cost of the business. We didn't count the cost of the faith journey. And the cost is a lot. Uh, Right now, I'm working with my kids on establishing value, understanding money, so me and my, my daughter Shiloh, we went to the mall yesterday and we were walking around and had to, I had to go pick up something and, and so she's walking around the mall with me and she got distracted 
by this little, you know, the little kiosks in the middle, and they've got all the odds and ends that, that they sell things. So she came across this little Dalmatian that when you turn it on, it did, 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 like what? And it was $12. It had the sign on it, $12. And she's like, Dad, that's $12. And I was like, cool, because we're teaching her you can earn money right now. You can do chores and everything. And she's like, well, how can I earn money? Like, what can I do to earn like five bucks? And I was like, well, you can clean your sister's room. She's Like, and I mean, I was like, yeah, so, so if you do something that's actually not your responsibility to do, then, then mom and dad are going to help you out. We're trying to walk through this whole thing. And then how many of you, like those of us with kids, you know how this happens. She's down with the, like the $12 thing. And then I was like, okay, let's go get something to eat. So we're going uh, to grab a piece of pizza. And as we're walking, she goes, dad, I thought she was going to talk to me about the Dalmatian again. And she goes, dad, can I get an iWatch? And I was like, we went from a $12 Dalmatian to a $400 watch. But she wasn't computing this, so I was like, so the Mac store is at the mall. Come on, somebody. And uh, so I was like, okay, lesson time. So we ate pizza, and I was like, let's go talk about that Mac watch. And so we walked over into the Mac store, and I brought her up to the watch, and I was like, hey, baby, you see that? And she's like, yeah. I was like, that's what you want, right? She's like, yeah, that's what I want. So we got onto the thing, and I was like, look at that. And she goes, she opens her mouth. She's like, $399. And I was like... That is about 480 Dalmatians. <laughs> this is what she said to me. I'll go with the Dalmatian. That's what she said. <laughs> Why did she say that though? I thought it was an interesting point. I think that's how many of us go. I'll go with the Dalmatian. Because what she did in that moment is she assessed the cost. And she said, if I want an iWatch, there's going to be a whole lot more of a journey. There's a whole lot more cost involved. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody right now. There's a whole lot more involved in getting that than there is getting this little Dalmatian that more than likely is going to break about four days in, or you're going to lose it in the bottom of the the abyss known as the vehicle, right? And so all of these things, it's a cost assessment on things. And when it comes to our journey of faith, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, when it comes to to the passion and the desire and the thing out in front of us, we got to understand that there is a massive cost involved, that there is things that we have to give over and give up on and sacrifice in if we're going to see God do what we desire God to do in our lives. Come on, can I get an amen this morning? So we have to assess the cost. Check this out. I've come to realize that when I count the cost, I then have the ability to carry the call. When I count the cost, I then have the ability to carry the call. No matter what that is. Number three, everybody shout number three. Here's the third thing. We have to pack with purpose. We have to pack with purpose. We have to pack with purpose. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 2 says this, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. The writer of Hebrews is talking about those of old who journeyed and followed after God when they were led out and called out like Joshua and the children of Israel. It says, break camp, follow me. You haven't been this way before. That's what he's talking about when he says that. And we have this cloud of witnesses surrounding us, showing us how this is gonna, what it's gonna cost us and how we're gonna live this life out. And then he says this, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. See, for many of us, we'll look at the scripture and we'll just, we'll look at the sin part. We think he's talking about sin because we look at hindrance. How many of you have realized this in life, that even good things can be hindrances? 
even good things can be hindrances. He's saying, I need you to leave, I need you to let go of hindrances and the sin that so easily ensnares us so that we can run this race, so that we can do this thing, right? Let aside, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run then with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that, was, that laid before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, here's the point. It's not just about packing light, it's about packing right. And too often we pack the things we do not need and forget to pack what we do need. And too often we don't pack for the journey in front of us with purpose. And the journey that Jesus has us on is one that must be packed for purpose. Let me put it this way. We cannot step forward in faith if we are still held captive by yesterday's failings. Let me say it like this. We cannot step forward in faith if we are still held captive by yesterday's offenses. We cannot step forward in faith if we are still held captive by yesterday's hurts. We cannot step forward in faith if we're still held captive by yesterday's hangups and by, by yesterday's mishaps and by yesterday's you fill in the blank. That's, that's the thing that ensnares us so many times. But I've also come to find out that good many times robs me of great. Here's the thing, is that many of us, we're, we're searching for good Instead of taking a moment to say, no, 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 I want to pack right because I'm searching for great. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So this is an important reality for us to understand that at the end of the day, we've got to, we've got to pack with purpose. Here's the question I want to ask you today. Are you packing for purpose? If you are believing God for something for your life today, are you packing with purpose? If you're believing to build that business or write that book or do your YouTube channel or whatever is out, if you're believing God to step into that next new job or see your marriage restored or overcome that addiction, are you packing with purpose today? Are you packing with purpose? I think this is an important thing. What are you carrying with you? Here's another question. Write this down. I'm just going to pepper you with questions. What are you holding on to? Have you ever noticed that we're really good at trying to bring all of our junk from 2019 into 2020? Or from one relationship to another? And the writer of Hebrews is simply saying, hey, let's let go of this stuff. Because if we let go of this, we don't need to bring this in. We can actually let go of this and run faster than we did before. For many of us in here, 2020, you could run so much faster than you did in 2019 if we would just let go of some of the stuff that hangs on to us. And here's the crazy thing. It doesn't define you, so let go of it. Your hurt doesn't define you. It's going to be okay. Leave it in 2019, right? Your offense, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't make you who you are, so leave it in 2019. Let's step in with grace and faith and passion. We got to pack with purpose. This is why Erica got frustrated with me when I was trying to shove a coat into my suitcase 
for Phoenix. She's like, what is your problem, dude? And then she said this to me, you don't need a coat, you need a swimsuit. And I was like, man, I knew I married up. <laughs> Such wisdom. <laughs> Isn't it true? We overcome. She's like, why are you with this coat? It's like we're going to Phoenix at 70 degrees, bro. 70 degrees. You know, there's something interesting in this scripture. Just let me, let me point this out to us. All right? He says this, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, is it possible that we take things into our journey that we don't need because we don't trust Jesus with what is necessary for the journey? It's a source issue. It's a source issue. At the end of the day, if I understand Jesus as my source, then I have the ability to go, okay, I'm going to pack, I'm going to pack light and I'm going to pack right because I know that as I step into these things, he's going to give me everything that I need. My daughter asked me yesterday in the mall, she's like, dad, are we going to get lunch? And I was like, what kind of question is that? Have you eaten? She's like, no. (laughs) I was like, well, let's go get lunch. Why? Because I'm her source. At the end of the day, so we walked hand in hand, and I walked over to Sapporo's or Saboros or whatever the pizza place is. I don't know what it's called, right? Sabara, right? And I was like, baby, whatever slice of pizza you want. I'm our source. Some of us need to start seeing God as our source. Am I talking to anybody today? Damn. Number four, the last one is this. Every shot, number four. This one is, is extremely complex. And deep. And it took all my education to come up with this one. Number four, we have to start with a step. <laughs> and I say it like that because I've come to realize that many of us complicate first steps. We have to start with a step. James chapter 1, 23 to 25 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Have you ever done that before? That's like a weird kind of picture, but this is the picture that he wants you to get. He wants you to be like, you're looking yourself in the mirror, and then you leave, and you're like, what did I, what did I look like? And then you go back in the mirror, and you're like, okay, good. And then you, and you walk out, and you're like, what did I look like? And then you come back in, and this is what many of us look like when it comes to our journey of faith. We can never step too far away from the mirror because we're just being here. We look, and then we come out, and then we look, and we come out. But the Bible's saying, listen, I need you to be more than just hearers of it. I need you to get on with it. I need you to take a step. I need you to walk. We can dream and plan and faith it as much as we want to. But at the end of the day, come on somebody, it's going to take a step. It's going to take a step. That's it. It's not complicated. But how many of you agree with me? Show of hands. Therapeutic moment. How many of you agree with me? We overcomplicate things. We overcomplicate, like, right? Working out, lifestyle changes, food, all these different things. We overcomplicate it. Changing what we know, changing how we do things. We, we, we overcomplicate it. We have to start with a step. For some of us, we need to, we need to hop into table groups and start connecting with people because we've been doing life alone for too long. 
For some of us, we need to get engaged with teams and with generosity and personal development. And most importantly, we need to surrender our life to Jesus. Come on, somebody. That's important right there. Watch this. One more excerpt from Climbing Everest. And Nepali's departure will send you along the southern route to the summit. Getting to Everest Base Camp, where the trek starts itself, is a 10-day, 17,000-plus foot affair. From there, you'll climb to Camp 1 atop the glacial icefall at 19,500 feet. It'll be 1,500 feet or more on a gradual slope to Camp 2, and 2,000 feet between that and the third camp situated at the head of Lost Face. Above this, you'll need those oxygen tanks on the mixed snow and rock path to Camp 4 at 26,300 feet in what is known as the Death Zone. A day's rest and then onwards along the southeast ridge to the south summit and the Hillary Step. And in the morning, the final summit attempt. Here's what I've come to realize. If you and I are going to climb Mount Everest, what does it take? One step. I want to tell you a story. I didn't tell this in um, the rest of the services today are going to get this incredible story because I just heard this um, after the first service. The well started almost seven years ago, February 10th, 2013, at Olympus Junior High School in Holiday. About 40 people in an 800-seat auditorium. One step. About nine months later, we took another step and we got into a small little warehouse slash office space that we renovated in Murray in this back road area where really driving in, you were scared for your life. Shady. Funny thing is, is I've got friends sitting in this room right now. Some of our, some of our closest friends are sitting in this room right now because that little church took up shop right next to their business. One step. And that little service had 65 people in it in one service. And then we took another step, two services. And then we took another step after two services and that was getting the lease in this building. And we brought all 65 to 100 of us into this building almost four years ago now. One step. And we went from one service to two services to three services to a new campus downtown. And then we went from two services to three services here, two services downtown, seven years, a lot of little tiny steps. After the first service today, I had a gentleman walk up to me crying. He walked up to me and he said, hey, can I pull you aside? I said, yeah, for sure. Pulls me aside and looking at me with his tears coming down his face. He says, I just got wrecked today. I was like, why? Like, Like, what's going on? He goes, I used to watch you guys set up church in Olympus Junior High School seven years ago from my backyard. There was this aisleway in the back where we would park the trailer and we'd start unloading things. And he said to me, I used to watch you unload those big cases. And he goes, I've even talked to some of you guys from over my fence asking what was going on almost seven years ago. That man was sitting in our church today and he's been sitting in this church for about a year now, having given his life to Jesus, having been baptized here. Come on, somebody.